Support for NPR and the following message come from Ally. While you're working hard, is your money being lazy? Make your money work harder than ever with Ally's new smart savings tools. For all things money, you deserve an Ally. Visit ally.com. Ally Bank member FDIC. Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour, NPR's roundtable podcast about what we are watching, reading, and listening to. I'm Linda Holmes. I'm the editor of NPR's pop culture and entertainment blog, Monkey See. This week, as we get to the end of 2016, we'll look back at some of our favorite stuff from the year and we'll clean up some of our unfinished business. And as always, we'll close the show with what's making us happy this week. So stick around. The NPR Shop features gift items for the public radio fans on your list. T-shirts, tote bags, hats, mugs, and more are available at shop.npr.org. Before we get started here in Historic Studio 44, let's go around the table. Stephen Thompson, what do you do at NPR? I am a writer and editor with NPR Music. And Glenn Weldon, what do you do at NPR? I write about books and comic books and other stuff for the NPR website. And with us this week in our fourth chair is Sam Sanders. Sam, what do you do for NPR these days? Hey, I am currently in transition, leaving the politics beat and working on some new podcast stuff. If you have followed politics all year, you know that Sam uh, is the has been the host of the NPR Politics Podcast. He's uh, fading out of that. I am. Into projects yet to come. That's right. We're very excited. We are cruising toward the end of December, and now that we have a moment to take a breath, and Sam, of course, has his first moment to take a breath oh, yes. in quite a while, we wanted to talk about some of our very favorite things from 2016. We're just going to take a couple trips around the table. Uh, Thompson, do you have anything uh, for the people from 2016? Favorite song of 2016, a wonderful uh, kind of young singer-songwriter named Mitski Miyawaki, who goes by the name Mitski. She put out this terrific record called Puberty 2, and the the, the, <laughs> the song at the, at the center of it is this absolute powerhouse called Your Best American. American Girl. You're the sun, you've never seen the night, but you hear its song from the morning birds. Well, I'm not the moon, I'm not even a star, but awake at night I'll be singing to the birds. It kind of does that quiet to loud thing that so many songs do. And as it's building, she's painting these very intimate details of her relationships and addressing her partner as like her big spoon. And it's kind of this sweet thing. And then it builds into this gargantuan wall of guitars that you cannot help but just turn up and up and up. And when you pick apart the words in the chorus, it's all about how her boyfriend's expectations for her collide with her expectations for herself and just her identity and where she fits into not only this relationship, but the culture at large. It's a beautiful song, but it also just rules. It's just a great (laughs) rock and roll song, Your Best American Girl by Mitski. And uh, how do we spell Mitski? M-I-T-S-K-I. Very good. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson, for that favorite song 
Glenn Weldon. You have a favorite for 2016? Yeah, it just occurs to me just now that my favorite television show and my favorite film of the year both feature the British actress Olivia Colman in supporting roles. My favorite show is Fleabag, a six-episode British series that's uh, streaming on Amazon here in the States. It's about a young woman living in London who kind of throws herself into a series of sexual encounters and her relationship with her family. She constantly turns to the camera and uh, confides in us. uh, But as the series progresses over its very tight six-episode structure, we come to realize that she's not just confiding in us as she would a friend. She is confessing to us in a way because she is avoiding something in her life. And when eventually, in the final episode of the series, she confronts it, that moment in this very funny, smart, witty show becomes kind of shattering and hugely satisfying. So that's Fleabag. The film is The Lobster, starring Colin Farrell and (laughs) Olivia Colman. It is so absurdly dry and dryly absurd. It is a film by the Greek director Yorthos Lanthimos. Uh, He did a film that I loved called Dogtooth. This film is set in a world in which everybody must be in a couple. And if they are not in a couple, they are sent to a hotel where, after a certain period of time, if they don't find somebody else to couple with, they will be turned into an animal. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. I also like the sea very much. I water ski and swim quite well since I was a teenager. I must congratulate you. The first thing most people think of is a dog. This thing has this wonderful affectless tone without which it would completely collapse. You need to buy into this world and it, it is asserted so dryly and hilariously and and smartly that it, it all holds together and you never know what's going to happen next. I love that feeling. It is a very rare feeling. So when I encounter it, I embrace it. That's The Lobster by Yorthos Lanthimos. So uh, two Olivia Coleman joints yep. there. Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Sam, I'm going to say you had a busy year. I did. Can you give me any favorites? Did you read anything while you were on the road this year? I did read, but I could never really commit to a book. I would take my iPad and read up on magazines, on flights. My usual go-to on long plane flights or in the campaign trail was the back catalog of The New Yorker, mm-hmm. all the ones that I hadn't you know, finished in a while. It was mm-hmm. on my iPad just sitting there. And two profiles I read this year from that magazine I found to be crazy amazing. Uh, One profile of Leslie Jones of SNL fame. The other, a profile of Ali Wong, Mm -hmm. a budding comic in her own right with an amazing a Netflix special that she tapes while like crazy pregnant. Mm -hmm. And what I love is how both of these pieces get into the difficulty in being a comic of color and a woman and the nuance that both of these women had to kind of navigate their career. They make it seem effortless, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes in the way that they create their presentation of self. Mm -hmm. And I found it fascinating and I find the two of them really inspiring. Yeah. And uh, we should mention, too, that the Leslie Jones profile is by Andrew Morantz and the uh, the Ali Wong profile is by uh, Ariel Levy. So thank you very much, Sam Sanders. The first thing I am going to mention uh, out of my favorites this year, I tried not to just go back and talk about the same things from this year that I've already spent a lot of time on. One film that I wanted to mention that I, I talked about when I got back from Toronto, but it is my advantage in that this is the best film of 2016 
that's actually a movie of 2017 because y'all haven't seen it yet, but I have. Uh, and that's the documentary I Am Not Your Negro, which uh-huh. is um, based on an unfinished manuscript of James Baldwin's that he was working on that he didn't finish prior to his death. The filmmaker Raoul Peck takes his writing, a lot of archival footage of him. It's so interesting to see, like, what the Dick Cavett show was, that, like, the Dick Cavett show would have a guy like James Baldwin. And you sort of think about how TV talk shows have changed because it's this really elevated, interesting conversation that that they are having. Sometimes people who are saying things that you just watch and you think, you said that in front of James Baldwin, like (laughs) some really, really interesting conversational, that archival footage. But then also a lot of the narrator is uh, Samuel Jackson. And there's a lot of juxtaposition of the writing of Baldwin with current events or kind of modern events or certainly events since his death. It is urgent and fascinating and as a piece of documentary filmmaking, really artful. There are times when the line between is it documentary filmmaking or is it really just journalism are blurry, those lines. But in this case, the documentary filmmaking is is really artful and interesting. And I liked it very much. I saw it in Toronto. It's going to be in theaters in February of 2017. It's called I Am Not Your Negro, directed by Raoul Peck. Stephen Thompson, hit me with another favorite. Well, I'm trying to find the connective tissue between these two things because I just I couldn't because it was just hard to narrow down everything I loved in culture in 2016. I thought this was a very good year for movies and TV shows and music. So I'm going to combine them based on the fact that I love their scores. A TV show uh, that we have discussed before, that a lot of people have discussed before, Stranger Things. Just a wonderful pastiche of science fiction and like 80s teen movies Mm -hmm. with that wonderful, very evocative 80s style score by the group Survive. Contained one of just my favorite breakout performances of the year by David Harbour, who at first comes across like this kind of typical sad womanizing drinker dude Mm -hmm. who we're somehow supposed to feel sad for but don't until he kind of comes out of his shell and and sort of takes more and more charge. Mm -hmm. I love that performance. And the second thing, again, incredibly evocative score, but a very different take on science fiction is the movie Arrival, which I have just obsessed over in the latter portion of this year, this kind of beautiful, thoughtful take on not only what would happen if we encountered aliens, but just how we as humans pick apart language. How do we communicate with beings where we have absolutely no entry point to a discussion. I thought about it again and again. So gorgeous. Such a beautiful score by Johan Johansson as well as Max Richter. So that's it's like music I've come back to again and again. Just one of my one of my favorite films of the year, Arrival. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, give me another favorite. I got a book and then another thing. My favorite book of the year is Alexander Weinstein's debut collection of short stories called Children of the New World, which is set slightly in the future. All these different stories take a look at what technology is doing to us, but not in a didactic, moralistic way of, you know, like uh, old man yelling at cloud, what's happening to the youth of today? What is technology doing to us? It is all done in a sort of wistful and fully grounded way with a lot of warmth and a lot of humor. And line by line, it's a great read. And I just love that book. It's kind of like what George Saunders does when he gets a little bit speculative. It's that tone, that feeling throughout. The other thing is the Eurovision Song Contest, which certainly has (laughs) been around forever, but was first broadcast here in the United States this year. 
where has this been all my life? Mm-hmm. This thing should be a part of my life, and it will be from now on. Particularly, this year, I think, was was great because it was hosted by uh, Sweden, and they did a number in the middle of it, uh, <laughs> yeah, the two hosts, did. where they purported to tell us how to write the perfect Eurovision song, the song that would automatically win. This song called, of course, Love, Love, Peace, Peace, is just so knowing and smart and funny and impressive as hell and catchy. Fill the stage with light as dancers will join us. The expectations grow. It's time for the chorus. Love, love, peace, peace. For women making red, peace, peace, love, love. And a man in a hamster wheel. Love, peace, peace, love. Make it unforgettable. You will be the best. And with that, your vocation so So that's uh, Love, Love, Peace, Peace. And the Eurovision Song Contest that surrounds it. Thank you, Glenn. Sam Sanders, give me a favorite. I have two favorite songs. Yes. And I like them a lot because the vocalists' vocals kind of function as instruments as well. Mm -hmm. And so when you get caught up in both of these songs, the words the person is singing don't matter. It's just about how the sound of their voice fits in with the rest of the instrumentation. It's hard to explain, Mm -hmm. kind of put you in a trance. Anyway, first one is by an Australian producer and DJ called Flume, Mm -hmm. featuring Beck, who's been around for a while. You might know Flume. He has a more popular song that was big on the airwaves this year called Never Be Like You. It's all over the radio. But this is the last song on his album. It features back. It's called Tiny Cities. And I have a snippet to play for you now, and I want you to hear it because Beck is singing a lot of words, but the words he's singing don't matter. He's just kind of part of it. Right. Yeah. So this is a genre of music called future bass. Um, it is descendant from a lot of heavy, bassy EDM styles of music, trap, dubstep, etc. But it's all about heavy, heavy bass, slower tempo, and kind of this reflective melancholy. Yeah. <laughs> and I love this song for that. It also made me marvel at Beck and his career. He's managed to remain relevant yeah. for, what, like 20, 30 years now? plus years. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. The other is a moment from the new Frank Ocean album, Blonde, like the final minute and a half of this song called Self-Control, where his voice layered over itself becomes the same kind of wall of sound with the guitars around him. That whole album had a lot of production help from John Bryan, who is a wonderful, amazing genius who does these really lush layered instrumentations yeah he's done a lot of like Fiona Apple records yeah and he does tons of stuff with Kanye but the layers on that Frank Ocean album were amazing when they really popped and this moment at the end of that song did it for me Summertime, give up just in 
Wonderful. Thank you very much, Sam Sanders. Uh, I am going to talk about a writer who writes in a genre that does not always get love on lists like this, and that is food writing. The The website Serious Eats is uh, has become my favorite food site. And I love to read Kenji Lopez-Alt, mm-hmm. who writes for Series Eats, a column section, I don't know exactly what they call it, called the Food Lab, in which he's one of these guys who writes about the science of food, but not in the way where you feel like they're trying to impress you with how sciencey it is, in a way that's really accessible. And the purpose of the science is to make the writing and the techniques make sense to you. The reason why he's explaining the science is so you know what to do and so you internalize what to do. Because if you like to cook, then it's not just a matter of like following things out of a book. It's being able to understand how things work so that you can make your own choices and try things yourself. So he's really, really good at kind of a a, a balance between practicality, how much time normal people have to do things, and aspiration to make things that are really great and aspiration to try new things versus how to make the absolute perfect burger if you have all day to work on it. I really enjoy his writing. Um, He's popped up a couple times on the Glenn and I talk about it all the time, Just John Hodgman podcast. He's been a guest on there. He's really just one of my favorite writers in any genre right now, and it happens to be in the area of food. His book, The Food Lab, came out at the end of September. If you're looking for like a terrific book about food that has recipes, but also lots of just great writing about how to understand cooking, The Food Lab by Kenji Lopez-Alt. Can I read that book as someone who doesn't really cook that much anymore? Yes. Good. Absolutely, you can. Stephen Thompson, what else have you got? Well, this was the year of Marsha Clark, the O.J. Simpson prosecutor from from the famous 90s trial. There were two kind of gigantic omnibus O.J. entertainment packages that have been enormously well-received in the last couple of years. You have, you have The People versus O.J. Simpson, in which Sarah Paulson spent 2016 winning awards for playing Marsha Clark. And then you have the wonderful wonderful documentary, O.J. Made in America, which I just blazed through in like a day, a lengthy miniseries in which they interview Marsha Clark directly. And she has one of my one of my favorite moments of the year just watching the show. And unfortunately, I can't say it on a family podcast, but Mark Furman has just oh, yeah. uh, has just ruined something for her. <laughs> and they just cut to her. She just looks at the camera and says, dude, what the? <laughs> and, 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 you know, and of course, it's uh-huh. I, I can't say if she could. Uh-huh. Seeing the kind of resuscitation of Marsha Clark's reputation as that case has been looked at again and again this year, uh, it, has, it has just been a big year for Marsha Clark in a way that I have found fascinating. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what have you got? Uh, I have a thing where I don't like people to use the term graphic novel, especially if it's not a graphic novel. I like people to call comics comics. In this case, I'm going to talk about a graphic novel, an actual fictional work that is a comic that is self-contained. And that's 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg. It's a sequel of sorts to uh, my favorite book of 2013, which was uh, an encyclopedia of early Earth. Uh, it's basically folktale-inflected comics uh, that, that borrow from the 1001 Nights. Uh, so it's about these two women who survive and uh, get the better of a lot of doofus kings and males who are trying to keep them down. It's very sly, it's gorgeous to look at, and it's a lot of fun. It's uh, 100 Nights of Hero. 
Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Uh, Sam Sanders, I think you have TV yet to go. I have TV. I have three favorite shows. I think they've all been discussed on this show before. Sure. Two are critical darlings. One is not. Uh-huh. Um, FX's Atlanta and Insecure on HBO. Atlanta is the story of Donald Glover portraying a an upstart music producer slash mm-hmm. manager who wants to manage his cousin's career, the rapper Paperboy. Insecure is set in Los Angeles, uh, the story of a young professional, a black woman played by Issa Rae, how she navigates life and love and work uh, along with her best friend Molly. And for Issa Rae, her show Insecure on HBO, it's a big vehicle for her, kind of in the same way that Girls was for Lena Dunham. Yeah. Uh, She writes it. She stars in it. It is her baby. I also love how both cities in those shows are kind of characters themselves. Yeah. Like the shots of South L.A. I know that place well, so I'll see it and I'm like, oh, that feels like where I used to hang out here and there. And like it's as much a character as Issa Rae. Same with Atlanta. It's shot so beautifully. Third show, not as much of a critical favorite but i like it and i'll defend it this is us oh we talked oh, about yeah, it yeah i know like i heard yeah we like it it's a favorite of a lot of people yeah, yeah. It here's, sure is. here's why like it's as if the creators of that show bought a cliche generator <laughs> and put it on overdrive yeah i mean because every central character is a walking cliche like the black guy who was the son of a drug addict and adopted by a white family. Mm-hmm. The beautiful young male actor who should have everything he wants but is still not happy. Yeah. Or the woman struggling with um, with weight loss but has a heart of gold. Like, yeah. it's every cliche crammed into one show, mm-hmm. but it manages to make me want to watch. And yeah. I go into it expecting to cry, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. like, all right, time to cry now. <laughs> it's happening. Also, that show made me realize I have a special soft spot in my heart for Mandy Moore. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. (laughs) But, yeah, this is us. I will just mention quickly, uh, we've talked about a lot of really great television. The one veteran show that I think had a really wonderful year that we haven't talked about too much is Veep. Mm -hmm. Um, The fifth season of Veep, which is weirdly current in certain ways at certain moments. (laughs) Um, There is a quality of that show that is so, so funny, so over-the-top funny, but also profoundly sad in a way that I that I find both very affecting and hilarious in a way that's it's it's not just cringy it's it's human and they had the uh, creator of the show leave and I think a lot of people sort of thought well are they still going to be able to do this show they had a great season Julia Louis-Dreyfus just continues to be one of those people where you can't even be mad at her for winning a thousand times (laughs) because she deserves everything she's ever won Uh, I love that show that's one that I just wanted to make mention of because that's my that's sort of my favorite veteran show in terms of rallying particularly after a high-profile departure so come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH and tell us what some of your favorites of 2016 were. And when we come back, we've got a little bit of unfinished business we want to finish up before the end of the year. So come right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sock Club, delivering a wonderful gift experience. Quality American-made socks are sent straight to your loved one's door, featuring different designs and a personal note every month. From now until December 25th, Pop Culture Happy Hour listeners can get 15% off gift subscriptions with promo code CULTURE at SockClub.com. Give Sock Club this holiday season. 
Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for us to take care of some unfinished business. Now, if you listen to this show on a regular basis, you know that one of the things that we do every fall is we each pick a show, a TV show, and we we sort of bet on its fortunes. This year, we picked some for quality, but we also just did our traditional pool where we bet on what we think is going to uh, do well and uh, succeed, perhaps become popular. And uh, and so we're going to go around and take a look at our picks. Glenn, what did you pick for this fall? I picked Timeless, the NBC time travel show. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to be honest, I'm not watching it anymore. Not because yeah. it's not good. It's fine. But it's just I kind of saw where it was going and, mm-hmm. and I kind of lost uh, lost as much interest as I had. It has, as of November 1st, been picked up for three more episodes, bringing its total to 16, not right. the 22 that's usual. But according to Deadline Hollywood, quote, <laughs> it ranks as the number one show in the 10 p.m. hour among adult. 18 to 49 with healthy time-shifted bumps. So <laughs> some healthy time-shifted bumps for you. Uh, so I yeah, I mean, it's, healthy time uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I usually pick a, you know an hour-long high-concept show that, that falls flat in its face. And this one hasn't yet. It is kind of on the bubble. We'll see if it gets picked mm-hmm. up for next season. It, the Hollywood Insider consensus is that there we don't know yet. We, yeah. It remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, I picked Timeless and it's doing okay. Nice. What did you pick, Stephen? I picked a Designated Survivor, mm-hmm. which continues to be on the air yeah. and <laughs> succeeds in an probably the least likely metric of all, I'm still watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen all 10 episodes that have aired. It's just the thing that my girlfriend and I gather to watch on the couch uh, with some regularity, and we have not given up on it. It is not necessarily what I would call, oh God, what is the word I'm looking at? Good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it finds itself constantly kind of wobbling off the rails mm-hmm. and kind of getting back on again. But I, could, I still, as far as the metric of success, could yeah. see this show settling into your kind of NCIS jag thing that is on the air yeah. for, for 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 ten years scratches that, an itch for that, you. That scratches an itch. Kiefer Sutherland, he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it continues to have some tonal issues with how goofy it can be versus how incredibly grave the circumstances yeah. of it are. I, I would have preferred to have picked This Is Us as far as uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, none of us picked as that as far as commercial success goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it was a solid meatball pitch down the middle for Designated Survivor. Nice. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Uh, before I. I give mine. I should mention that Bob Mondello picked uh, Speechless, which yep. we talked yeah. about a couple weeks ago. I nudged him toward that pick. I'm happy <laughs> to say. I think it's plugging along. I think it's uh, performing fine. Got picked um, up for a full season. Got picked up for a full season. It's uh, a good show. We're rooting for that show. We like that show. Hear more in the same episode in which we talked about This Is Us. So you can hear our opinions about Speechless. Uh, good pick, Bob. Way to go. I picked The Good Place, which is the Mike Schur oh. show with uh, Kristen Bell and uh, Ted Danson and a bunch of other very very talented people. Steven has been a big fan of that show and has talked about it sometimes. I don't think its uh, commercial prospects have been great. It was only ever going to do 13 uh, episodes this season. So as far as I know, it has not been uh, given any go ahead for any more. But I also think it hasn't officially been told no. To my knowledge, we're still in limbo about that show. But I think it has been uh, generally well-received. And if nothing else, my friend Stephen Thompson liked it, enjoys it, is hoping for the best for it, I know. So who won? I would say I would say Stephen and, and Bob yeah. are probably in the lead right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and perhaps we'll have to make one more check. Watch your back, Mondello. Watch your back, Mondello. Right. Um, so uh, we also wanted to check in on some predictions that we made for summer movies. Now, 
we talked about summer movies in terms of what we were looking forward to, which, you know, I think Glenn picked your uh, your Swiss Army Man, which he's talked about how much he really did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Stephen picked uh, Independence Day Resurgence, which we wound up not even going to. Well, I <laughs> actually saw that that movie. Mm-hmm. Is so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it, you it lost. Is, so is, bad it's good or just so no, bad? It is as if Ed Wood, who did Plan 9 from Outer Space, if the budget for Plan 9 from Outer Space had been $175 million, <laughs> yeah. that's what it would be, is oh, Independence man. Day Resurgence. That yeah. movie is atrocious. That movie's so bad that uh, we were originally going to do a show, and there's an explanation of this in the episode uh, at issue. We were originally going to do a whole segment on that movie, huh. and I went and saw it and texted yes. all these guys and said, it's not going to be interesting. It's just going to be us talking about how bad it is. So let's do something else. Wow. So so Stephen loses, for sure. <laughs> so in that uh, looking forward to it round, also our buddy Mike Katz have picked The Nice Guys. Good movie. Yeah, uh, good movie. And uh, I picked Ghostbusters, which I enjoyed. Yeah, that's a fun bit. movie. So, uh, so no uh, no issues there. Only Stephen. Only I, I lost. Did not wind up liking what he uh, what he was looking forward to. Oh, what a bad choice. So then our uh, box office picks for uh, high performers. We did pretty well, mm-hmm. I would say. Glenn, you picked Finding Dory. Yeah, I did. Currently the number one domestic film of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it actually has taken in the most money with Civil War, uh, which I think Stephen picked uh, as number one, uh, coming in very close. However, there's it's a little complicated because Finding Dory made 486 million in the U.S., while Civil War made 408. What complicates matters though is that Finding Dory did 541 million internationally, while Civil War blew past it at 745. So, so Finding Dory higher domestic, Uh Civil War higher total. Yeah, it looks like Civil War did better. Overall, but Finding Dory did better in the U.S. Yeah, I don't know which bigger, biggest in the U.S. or biggest in the world. I don't know. I, I, you kind of feel like uh, you can both claim a measure of uh, measure of glory there. Uh-huh. Uh, our friend uh, Mike Katz of Pick Suicide Squad did very well. Did. Yeah, uh, he said it would be a surprise hit, and yeah. it came in number eight uh, total. But we should not let him forget that he included the phrase. Let's not discount Jared Leto in his, in his prediction, <laughs> to which we all said, yeah, let's do. Uh, well, you know, he was not necessarily saying he wanted to see it or thought it was going to be good. He no. was just saying he thought it would make a lot of money, which in fairness it did. Mm-hmm. Now, I picked again, I picked Ghostbusters, partly because y'all took a lot of the big ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I picked Ghostbusters. It did not flop unless you compare it to the fact that it was a very big budget movie. I think for the size of the budget, it was disappointing. But a lot of people went to see it. It's not a movie nobody went to. The really, really big one that we missed in a lot of ways was uh, Secret Life of Pets. Yeah. really, really big summer movie. Massive. We talked about it in passing. um, Did you get to go see it? uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Not me either. Yeah, but uh, that was the big, big, big one that yeah. we sort of missed. So that was our blind spot was uh, was that. So then we also picked uh, boondoggles, potential yep. boondoggles. Glenn, what did you pick for boondoggle? Well, mine was not a boondoggle. Yeah, mine was not a financial boondoggle. It was more an emotional boondoggle. I figured that we had seen enough of Absolutely Fabulous so that Absolutely Fabulous, the movie, would disappoint. It did $4.7 million in the U.S., but it did $32.5 million internationally. And it probably was not terribly No, it was not a widely released. And I saw it and I liked it. I mm-hmm. mean, it, you, you kind of know exactly what it's going to do and it did exactly what it did the way it did it. So uh, I was I was wrong about that because I think it worked. Nice. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Stephen, you picked uh, Legend of Tarzan. I was so confident in this pick. I not only, you if are, you recall. You talked about how confident you are. I not only said that the, that the Legend of Tarzan would be the biggest 
boondoggle at the box office of the summer. But I gave a metric for it. I said that it would come in after the purge election year in in the that weekend's box office. That's how sure I was. And felt increasingly confident in the run-up to that week in which some people started to predict that very thing. It did not actually come to pass. That movie was a modest hit. Probably made, what, about $150 million. What I should have picked was Alice Through the Looking Glass, yeah. which was the actual boondoggle of the yeah. summer. I picked Warcraft. Now, uh, again, I was picking Warcraft in part because it's a big, expensive movie. They wanted it to be a gigantor hit. My favorite statistic about this is, on the one hand, it made $433 million, right? That's great. That's, that's quite a bit of money. On yeah. the, But that's, that's internationally. Right. On the other hand, it made 90% of it overseas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was another one where, you know, here in the U.S., it was eh. But overseas... They made a lot of money. And the same could be said, as a matter of fact, for Mike Katzeff's pick, which was, you might recall, Angry Birds. <laughs> Angry Birds made only about 107 domestic, which is not a ton for a, a movie that they clearly would have hoped would be a, a great they, big splashy hit. They spent that marketing it. It did make $349 million worldwide, counting domestic and, and foreign box office. So, you know, not a, not a movie nobody went to. I don't know if I would say we uh, we necessarily picked great boondoggles this mm. time around. We've had some big successes in the past picking picking boondoggles. I'm uh, so sure. Yeah, you really were. If you want to hear Stephen's extreme certainty, <laughs> just go back and listen to that segment. We would uh, we would be remiss, I think, also if we did not pick up a couple of other pieces of unfinished business. You might remember that in the month of March, we went to see a little theatrical production called Hamilton. Oh, uh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. We talked at the time about the fact that it was uh, likely to continue to receive accolades throughout the year. Uh, Hamilton update, uh, lots of accolades. Yeah. <laughs> uh, since we saw it, just about all of the principal cast has moved on. Some of them are in line for gigantic new projects. David Diggs was on, uh, has been on Blackish. Philippa mm-hmm. Sue is going to be in the new Amelie Yes. Uh, on Broadway. Oh. Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, uh, worked on Moana. He's working on the new Mary Poppins movie. He's been working, uh, you know, he lives now in uh, in the UK and you can hear him tweeting in what seems to be the middle of the night. And... <laughs> in a gilded castle. Absolutely. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. has a Christmas album. Um, Which is lovely. They're, they're all keeping busy. Is Mary Poppins going to rap now? I don't know. I don't know if I want to hear that. Good no. question. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so. So uh, so Hamilton update, they're all doing fine. I have a funny <laughs> Hamilton, I guess, aside. Okay. I've listened to half of the Hamilton soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I've never um, like seen the show, but I'm aware with a few of the catchphrases from mm-hmm. this production. Because you live in the world. Because I live in the world. But about every two or three episodes of the Politics Podcast... Someone will tweet me and be like, I heard that Hamilton reference you slid in. (laughs) And I was like, nah, dude, I was just talking. (laughs) It's so everywhere. It's like people are just like... You're talking about Hamilton, yeah. aren't you? And I'm well, like, we, no, I'm as not. a species, we're meant to find patterns, and so yes. we create patterns where they may or may not yeah. exist. Yeah, and um, and also I wanted to mention uh, they put their mixtape out. Yep. Yes. Uh, which is, yes. you know, is... uh, Stephen and I were talking about. It's sort of uneven. Some of it mm-hmm. is really amazing and wonderful. Other parts of it are highly questionable. But I think what you see there is Jimmy Fallon. Uh, <laughs> is Lin Manuel Miranda's kind of idiosyncratic taste in music and musicians, which I think is great, and which I think yeah. is great to kind of marinate in. Yeah, so uh, I, I think you can't say mixtape without mix 
Kelly Clarkson is so good. Sorry, I'm going to give Linda a second to continue to gag on my words. Anyway, like the one with Ja Rule and Ashanti. Sure, I thought didn't need it. I thought the Alicia Keys melisma for nine minutes was. Yeah, last night when he told me this, it was six minutes. Nine minutes. Congratulations, it's pretty great. Congratulations, it's pretty great. And that was my my happy one week was the the video of the great. Renee Lee Goldsberry singing that at the uh, at Ham for Ham, and now you can hear Dessa sing it on the mixtape mm-hmm. and get a kind of a complete version of it. So that is great. That is our Hamilton update. One more mm-hmm. other update. You might have heard our live show from Los Angeles in which our fourth chair was none other than Kumail Nanjiani. And he talked at that time about the fact that he had a romantic comedy that he had made with his wife, Emily Gordon. And since we taped that episode, it was picked up and it's going to be at Sundance. And that is great news for Kumail and Emily, who are lovely, lovely humans. And so uh, congratulations to them. That is our follow up to our live show. And that, I think, is our unfinished business for 2016. When we come back, that's right. When we come back, it's going to be time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, what is making us happy this week. So come right back. When you're ready for a break or just something new, find your NPR podcast at the NPR One app or visit npr.org slash podcasts. Revealing interviews on Fresh Air, The Big Listen, and Bullseye. New music from Alt Latino and All Songs Considered. And insights and analysis from Code Switch, NPR Politics Podcast, and Latino USA. Your new favorite thing on your own time is a click away at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment. What is making us happy this week? Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? So Florence Foster Jenkins just got nominated for a bunch of Golden Globe Awards, including Best Musical or Comedy, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor. It is a true life story about a socialite and sort of amateur singer in New York in the first half of the 20th century. And basically, long story short, she seemed to imagine herself as enormously talented and was not. And she would occasionally get regarded as like the worst opera singer of all time. And there's some question as to how much she was aware of that perception of her. The movie really plays around basically with her being surrounded by yes men in such a way that she almost couldn't know. And and, and there's a lot in the movie about them trying to keep that from her. So there's a lot about delusion, but also about artistic persistence, for lack of a, of a better term. And so you've got Meryl Streep as Florence Foster Jenkins, and then you have her husband, who is played by Hugh Grant at kind of his his weaseliest. Yeah. And then Simon Helberg as her uh, pianist, as her accompanist, who aspires to be a serious musician and takes this gig. And, you know, and kind of has to deal with how that might affect his reputation and just the surrealness of it all. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? You're going to hear a lot of people talking about The OA, which yeah. is a Netflix series that dropped on December 16th. I'm four episodes in. It's eight episodes long. And uh, it hasn't grabbed me yet, which, you know, I'm half a work day into this thing and it hasn't grabbed me yet. And if you ask me what it's about, I couldn't tell you because it's not telling me what it's about. (laughs) It is parceling out the revelations very sporadically. And it wants you to say, oh, my God, with each one. And what you end up saying is, what? (laughs) Um, And that 
And everybody uh, who has been writing about this, and uh, I've been talking to a couple of people who say, just wait, just wait. The, the, there's this huge thing that happens at the end that we're at all. And I'm, I'll do that. Not now. Because yeah. I got four episodes in and I decided to try another Netflix series, which dropped on exactly the same day, called Crazy Head, which is a British series that is so much fun. Uh, I kind of pivoted away from the OA and went right into Crazy Head. It is scratching your Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets They Live itch. It's about a young woman who, as she is coming off her meds, starts to hallucinate, or is she, that mm-hmm. the various people around her are demons. So she finds a friend to go and slay the demons or deal with the demons in some way. It is so funny and quick. And the performances by Cara Theobald as Amy and Susan Wakoma as Raquel, it's just, it's, it's exactly what I want. It's also six episodes long. Mm-hmm. See, see the difference there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so it's just so much fun. Uh, it's Crazy Head streaming on Netflix. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Sam Sanders, what is making you happy this week, sir? I mentioned this to you, I guess, yesterday, Mm -hmm. but I am in this phase of my cultural consumption where I am revisiting old things that I like. Yep. The end of the year, for several reasons, is for me a lot of deadlines, especially Mm -hmm. consuming the good stuff. Like, I've been making plans to go see Moonlight with Mm -hmm. friends for three weeks and I haven't done it yet. Yeah. But what I have been doing a lot is rewatching. Happy Endings. Yes. Which is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. Yep. For those who don't know what it is, the way that I describe it is it's like Friends, but in Chicago, and one is black and one is gay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just really quick, sharp writing. Mm-hmm. It has a heart of gold and it's charming. I just love this show. And it's just probably my like third time to rewatch it. Yeah. And I'm taking no shame in it this time. No. Like, I want to enjoy it. It feels no. good. No. And it also has a very much higher joke density than Friends. Yep. Yes. It's a they really fit it in real hard. It's Glenn talks yes. a lot about joke density and that is a very joke density driven show. If you don't like the one joke, there'll just be another joke yeah. in 5 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and they sort of throw them in and they go by the one that I always quote is a one-man solo experimental band called Yoko Uno. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which yes. I just think is one of those. And it just floats by. Yes. And they're like, okay. Yeah. I also uh, love how they make fun of the very idea of a sitcom like theirs. Mm-hmm. They poke fun at themselves all the time. There's the occasional reference to how they're kind of like like a bastardized friends. Yeah. Like, it's really fun. Yeah, and and basically most of the cast of that show has gone on and is doing other interesting stuff. Whether it's you know a couple of them have been on the Mindy Project, and you know they're all over the place. Yeah, I fully endorse that. Thank uh, you. That happy. Good job, <laughs> yeah. Sam Sanders. Oh, yeah. Way to bring a favorite thing of mine. Uh, <laughs> so what is making me happy this week? I. I have talked sometimes about some of the shows, the podcasts that come out of the Previously.TV universe. I've talked about their flagship show, Extra Hot Great, and their Beverly Hills 90210 show, again with this, which I dearly love. But one of my former colleagues who works at Previously.TV, Sarah Bunting, also has a show with Mark Blankenship, who's also a terrific writer, called Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. That is the name of the podcast. That is what happens on the podcast. And what is making me happy this week is their Christmas song episode in which they each pick two Christmas songs that they like and two Christmas songs that they hate. And they go into great detail about why they like them or why they hate them. It is funny. It is uh, unexpected. And it is at some parts quite touching as a matter of fact, and uh, I recommend it. They talk about a lot of songs that I don't remember or don't know, so I don't always, uh, it's not always a show that I listen to if I don't know the song, but I was very into this Christmas songs episode. So the podcast is 
creatively titled Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. And you can find their Christmas songs episode uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And before we go, I have one other thing that I wanted to add, which is, uh, as we have told you in the past, the best way to support our show, if you support uh, Sam's show, uh, the politics podcast, or Code Switch, or any of the shows that we know that you love and that we love here at NPR, the best way to support them is to support your local stations. So to those of you who are doing that, we thank you. If you haven't yet, throw them some money. Tell them that we sent you. uh, End your contribution with Ant 44 Cent in honor of Studio 44. Do whatever. We appreciate it. And any step that you take is supporting us. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow me at NPRMonkeyC. You can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can follow Glenn at G.H. Weldon. And you can follow Sam at Sam Sanders. You can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy. And our producer, Emeritus and Music Director, Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif K-A-T. ZIF. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides our in and out music, which you are bobbing your head to right now. So thanks to all of you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. It's always good to see you. It's a pleasure. I loved it. And thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you right back here next week. 